Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to again talk about the Kingdom of God. And just as I uh, I started to record, uh, my computer screen went by. <laughs> so I may be uh, maybe operating completely winging it. <laughs> so, <laughs> Uh, but uh, what I was going to talk about is some of the the mysteries of the universe and how how it all works, and uh, you know that's we talk about that all the time. And, and there's been a number of things that have gone on this week, and people who have communicated back and forth. You know, we're getting ready for the Burning Bush Festival at the end of August and the first of September. Some people are going to be showing up. Actually, some will probably show up a week or so early, but uh, others are going to be showing up around the 29th which I think is a Thursday, and uh, sticking around till the 1st or 2nd. And uh, we have some people coming all the way across from New York, and I don't know where everybody's coming from. They usually don't tell me till the last minute, although I guess some things, we have a Burning Bush Festival Facebook page, and we have burningbushfestival.org, and on the Facebook page you can actually say if you're coming to the event. And so some people are keeping track of all that. I'm just trying to get everything else done before that comes up. So if you if you want to come out and uh, meet with some of the people and talk about some of the things that I don't talk about on the radio, you know, that's that's one of the opportunities. And like we talked in some of the last shows that uh, we just did, that, you know, there were two major time periods that Israel would get together and the early church also got together. And it was around what we call uh, Pentecost and and uh, Feast of Tabernacles or Feast of Tents or Fall Festivals. And societies have been doing this for centuries and centuries and centuries where they get together. And it's, it's how the community kind of consolidates itself by having some sort of Oktoberfest or Fall Festival. Although in some places it's become kind of a beer drinking party and... Uh, Let's see, what do we have? Uh, we ha- we have Thanksgiving here and uh, harvest festivals and things like that in America. But a great deal of the purpose of these gatherings has fallen on the wayside. There's actually a, kind of a revival uh, of, uh, you know, Messianic Jews, they call them, or Messianic Christians who are trying to go back and follow the feasts and you know they they make the calendar really important it has to be on a certain day and they they get all these rituals lined up but they miss the spirit and the purpose and the essence of these gatherings which was to bring a community together that could live on a daily basis by faith open charity instead of force fear and violence and they so they and also they have a need to have a sense of belonging to something and being a part of something because they're rejecting a lot of the things in the world because they find the things of the world uncomfortable or uh, oppressive and so they they create a religion they invent their own religion they invent their own doctrine oh they read the bible of course and then they interpret it privately and come up to, well, this says this, and this says that, and which it may actually say, but what did the author actually mean is the big question. And what was he trying to tell you? And what is this kingdom of God? And what is the righteousness of God? And the righteousness of God is not following some particular ritual form. 
of uh, checklists of things to do and not do. Uh, that's not what Christ was talking about. That's not what Moses was talking about. They were talking about a spirit of loving your neighbor as yourself and loving God, which is this source of right reason or righteousness, so much so that it that it compels your actions. And then we call that that love that compels actions, we call that faith. And that you move by faith in in this unseen God without a name. And yet, you know, anytime anybody's trying to say, oh, his name is this, and they they spell it out, and you've got to get the letters right in the right place, that those people probably are straying. But, you know, we're complex, you know, so we, there isn't necessarily, there is a black and white in the world, just the same as there's an absolute cold and probably an absolute heat that you can produce. That's the range in which cold and heat exists. And of course, cold doesn't actually exist. Cold is just the absence of heat. So it's just a way of which we measure the absence of heat and heat we measure with this BTU or temperature in a variety of different ways, Fahrenheit, centigrade. But those are evidence of creation. Heat is evidence of creation. And cold is evidence that that heat of creation is not everywhere, that it's dispersed unevenly. If if we had true equality, we'd all be at the same temperature. <laughs> but we're not all at the same temperature. So there is no equality in the universe. There is difference. And viva la difference. Uh, that it's great that there's a difference because we are found in that difference. Predestination is a topic we may eventually get onto, uh, and it is a very controversial topic. I've done a little bit of studying as to the different opinions of of predestination, and it, it's been a the term of predestination. I mean, it comes out of the Bible. The we see it in the translation, but what do they mean, predestination? Are we just puppets in the hands of God that everything was predetermined? We make no choice. Uh, that would just fly in the face of all the things that uh, in the Bible that's talking about free will choice and liberty and and uh, free will offerings and uh, you know this day you know who shall you choose and and yet. Pre, some predestination philosophies or ideologies say there is no choice. It's all predestined. You know, and, uh, and they, they do this often, you know, I, I can't say in every case, but I have seen it where they do it is, is to try to create sort of a false humility. I can do nothing myself. I can make no choices myself. But the reality is you do make a choice. I mean, you made a choice to believe in predestination. <laughs> oh, no, no, I was predestined to believe in predestination. No, you know, it's, it's circular logic. It's, it doesn't work that way. You do make a choice, but where do you make the choice? You see, you know, a lot of times people make a choice because they want to do a particular thing or they want to go a particular way. And then they start making up excuses why they should go that way. To justify their choice. But they don't look at what actually made the choice. Because 
a large percentage of their minds, their souls, they don't even look at. They, you know, it's kind of like you, you, I jumped off the, I chose to jump off the building, but I did not choose to hit the sidewalk below. But the fact that you chose to jump off the building predetermined that you were going to hit the sidewalk below. Now, all the way down, you're deciding, I don't want to hit the sidewalk. I choose not to hit the sidewalk, but you're still going to hit it. It's kind of, you know, the, you know, that the, you, you've predestined yourself because of a choice you made before. Now, can you change some of those choices, obviously, you know, flapping your arms and it's not going to change the fact that you're going to hit the sidewalk. But, uh, you know, maybe you can skydive a little bit and maybe you'll hit the street instead. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, the reality is, is that you, that's the only predestination there is, is the fact that you make certain choices, but you don't even know where or when you make those choices a lot of times. You forget all about that. You, you're not seeing yourself make the choices because sometimes those choices are made in the dark recesses of your heart. And when I mention the dark recesses of your heart, I mean, good and evil is divided between light and darkness, right? But just like cold and heat, darkness doesn't exist. It is simply the absence of light. So if you're making choices in your heart and in your mind, but you're don't have light present then you're making those choices in the darkness and you won't even realize you're making those choices because you're not even willing to look at you you need to look at you to determine uh, what what's going on in you you need to be honest and look at yourself well Honesty and looking at yourself often begins with honesty and looking at the rest of the world. And many of the religions and philosophies that we produce, and we're going to talk about a lot of them uh, eventually here, uh, but these philosophies and religions and heresies and dogmas and doctrines that we produce, these religions, because religion has become what we think about God, so that's you know, our philosophy about God, our theology about God, uh, many of these are constructed so that we don't have to see the truth. They aren't the truth. They're actually constructed so we don't have to see the truth. And it isn't that we don't want to see the truth as much as it is that we don't want to see the truth about ourselves. Because that's uncomfortable. But unless you see the truth about yourself... You're not going to see the truth about God. It's absolutely essential that you see the truth about yourself. So whether you're coming to the Burning Wish Festival or listening to our audios or looking online and, uh, you know, some people, somebody wrote me last night and said that they uh, enjoy my podcast while they're driving. I guess I keep them awake. So they look for Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory and they you can download our 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 uh, recordings and this station and other stations and we hope to be making a lot more so that uh, it's somewhat new but you know the kingdom of god is the oldest thing in the universe <laughs> so 
So nothing that we're talking about is new under the heavens and earth, but it may be new to you. And we're going to try to bring your attention to a lot of things that most people don't ever hear about. And a lot of ideas that nobody ever even contemplates or maybe didn't even know existed. But the whole purpose is to awaken you to you. So that you can begin to see the truth about you. And one of the first things you have to see is that you've accepted a lot of things to be true that just ain't so. Because that's what's keeping you in trouble. And that's what's keeping the door locked. And we started this series on the portals of faith. And that's what Christ came to do. You know, he talks about, I am the door. Well, that's like saying, I am the portal. Well, I am the portal. Well, what is God? God is, I am that I am. I am who I am. So, God, I mean, that's what, that's the portal you want to open. You know, door one, door two, door three. You want to open the portal that takes you to God. The creator of life. So that you can have life more abundant. And of course Christ said if you want to have your life more abundant. You have to lay down your life. And see you are standing in the doorway. You are keeping the portal from opening. Christ came to open the portal. Because other men had spent a thousand years or more. Closing the portal of faith. Closing that door. And so Christ came to open that door. And uh, since Christ was here, people have been trying to close that door again. <laughs> and you don't. And so that's what we're going to be talking about: is some of the ways in which they start closing the door. And of course, when you're going to close a door, and you know people will notice, you know, like it got a little dark in here, the light stopped coming in, somebody closed the door, or they can't hear the noise outside, or whatever. Well, what they have to do is open another door that looks like the door, but is not really the door, and get you to think that you're going through the door that isn't the door that you really want to go through. So, is that confusing or what? But, uh, and that's what false religion is. They change the definition of religion to, from what, the pious performance of your duty to God and your fellow man, to what you think about God. Then they construct a theology, a doctrine, uh, you know, statements of faith. And we went over in the show last week, or actually it was, yeah, it was the show last week that we talked about the statement of faith. And I just picked one that I happened to know some of the people involved with creating that statement of faith. And we went through it step by step. So you can go back and, and hear those recordings of of how these statements of faith are created by cherry-picking little quotes in the Bible to invent, to construct an idea of religion, which is really the essence of ideology and the essence of idolatry, because that's what idolatry is. You construct an image of God and then you worship that image. And people, you know, the, the, the constructionists who want to put everything down in a finite, you know, checklist, they will say that idolatry is when you actually create a statue. You know, that, an image, a likeness. And then you worship that statue. 
And, uh, you know, we saw the Pharisees, you know, all worked up about the fact that somebody had a symbol that looked like a statue. I don't know if it was uh, the Roman eagle or what. But uh, they didn't want that. Or maybe it was Augustus's uh, statue of Augustus. And they didn't want you to worship Augustus. But they had already created an image of Moses that was false. It wasn't a statue made out of stone. It was a statue made out of words and ideas. And they said, yeah, we worship Moses. But Jesus said, you don't even know Moses. Because if you knew Moses, you'd know me. But you don't know me. You you war against me. You want to kill me. You plot against me. You would do the same with Moses if Moses was here. You would be the Dathans that would plot against Moses if Moses was here. Because you don't even know Moses. You've constructed an image of Moses in your mind that is false. Which is the essence of idolatry. So now the question remains, have you, or has, have you allowed somebody to construct an image of Jesus in your mind, an image of God in your mind, that is, just ain't so. And so that's what this series is really about, is to help you look into your own heart to see if you're looking at the real Jesus, the real Christ. Do you, are you practicing pure religion? Or have you morphed your from the faith in the real God to a faith in an image of God that just ain't so? So has because if you have the portal is closed to you, it it can be open, but you have to knock. You have to desire that portal to be open. And you know one of the biggest obstacles to that is your own pride. You don't want to admit that you have it wrong now. That what you believe now is in question. That it may not be so. And so, you know, when Jesus talks in Luke eleven forty six, and he says, And he said, Woe unto you, ye lawyers, for you laid men with burdens grievous to be born. And ye yourselves touch not the burdens with one of your own fingers. Woe unto you, for ye build the sepulchre of the prophets, the tomb of the prophets, and your fathers killed them. So, by whatever it is that they're doing, these these supposed lawyers. Now, when we say lawyers, we think of all the lawyers out there in legal land. but. these are Pharisees who are part of the religious institutions. But the reality is your lawyers today are a part of your religious institutions. <laughs> but we don't call them religious institutions. We call them systems of justice and, and uh, maybe even mercy. Uh, but so what is really going on? You have to remember Israel which was the kingdom of God. Jesus says, I'm going to take the kingdom of God away from you. He's talking to Judea, the the Pharisees of Judea. I'm going to take the kingdom away from you. That was an actual government that was operating and providing a daily ministration from house to house, dividing the bread, but not necessarily rightly dividing it because corruption had come in. But their government 
was their priests. The, the the ministers of their daily ministration were the priests of their society. They did it through these congregations of tens, which we call synagogues. Ten families get together. And then they connect with ten other families. And then you have tens and hundreds. And that's the way Israel operated. They also operated their system of their judicial system through those same tens, hundreds, and thousands. Obviously, if you're in a congregation of ten families and there's a dispute, those ten heads of those ten families can sit down and resolve the dispute. And that would be like a jury just resolving the dispute. And between two people and say, you know, Steve, I, you know, they all agree that Steve, you really do owe him that fifty bucks. You gotta pay him the fifty bucks. He, he may not pay them the fifty bucks. But then everybody knows that Steve is not a man of his word because they all know that what went on. There was no gossiping involved. They sat down and they bore witness to what the deal was and everybody knows that Steve owes Bill 50 bucks. And if Steve doesn't pay it, everybody's going to know. And that's the pressure that he has, but it's still his free will choice. But that was their judicial system. Well, what have you had... Steve and Bill were in different congregations. Well, then you had to go through a process of ordire where you would pick five from one congregation and five from another. And then you would sit down and decide what was going on. Then the ministers would be there keeping order and that would be your 12-man jury. And they would decide fact and law and they would resolve these. In the show last week, we talked about Iceland. You know, they... They ended up on an island, Iceland, with Scandinavians and Irish from different cultures, somewhat different languages. And uh, they had to get along. And uh, so they sat down in the whole thing and tried to figure out how to get along. And they had some good ideas and some bad ideas. But uh, they didn't sit down like governments today they sat down in some sort of government but the governments today are not like the government 200 years ago when they first began to implement the constitution because things change our relationship with government changed our relationship with each other's change our relationship with religions change 200 years ago 90% of all social welfare official social welfare was taken care of through the churches that's how you took care of the needy of society. It wasn't through the government. Well, now it's all through the government. So we're not the same as it was 200 years ago. Things have changed. With that, we change. Repentance is about changing back. We'll be back in a moment. The Keys of the Kingdom. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, why am I telling you about, you know, the government of Israel, the you know, that's all gone right now, right? And we're waiting. You, you're going to have to accept the idea. If you want to learn anything, you're going to have to accept the idea that you have a lot of ideas that are not really kosher. They don't really fit. They they don't fit history. They don't fit the Bible. They don't fit what Jesus was doing. They don't fit what Moses was doing. Moses was setting up a government of the people, for the people, and by the people, which is why that phrase of for and by the people 
was used to describe the Bible in the Wycliffe Bible. And when Abraham Lincoln used it in the Gettysburg Address, he was just taking it out of that uh, introduction to the Bible, the translation by Wycliffe. Because that w- that's what the Bible was. It was the book for the government of the people, for the people, and by the people. But now if you, you mention the Bible, people say, oh no, you don't want to have anything to do with the Bible, that's religion, and we don't want to have religion mixing into our government. But your government is your religion. If we go by the definition of religion 200 years ago, the pious performance of your duty to God and your fellow man. Well, what God? There are God's many, according to Paul. And all a God was was a ruling judge. So once you understand that a God was a ruling judge, and the so how does the God of the universe operate as a ruling judge? He does it through the law of nature. Because his right reason, his laws are built into the law of nature. Because as you judge, so shall you be judged. Whatever whatever goes around, comes around. If you do things a certain way, it's like jumping off that building. You become predestined for the consequences of jumping off that building, which is usually hitting the sidewalk down below. That That's the consequences of making those choices. And there are built-in consequences to disobeying what is called the Ten Commandments. If you disobey what the Ten Commandments tell you to do and not do, most of it's not do. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do that. Because if you do that, if you jump off this building, this is the consequence. If you bear false witness, there will be a consequence. If you if you say, I swear to uphold the terms of the Constitution of Oregon, and then you don't hold uphold the terms of the Constitution of Oregon, there's going to be a consequence. And, you know, that's in our little talk about Article 2, Section 22, which you can go to preparing you and look up that. I haven't put everything into that article. I mean, if you go down on the footnotes, you can find it all out. But I haven't explained some of the worst things <laughs> that are taking place in the, this new resolution that the uh, legislature passed, which is it's a resolution to put a, something on the ballot to vote for. But I'm just curious how many people actually can figure out, you know, what what I haven't mentioned yet about that particular measure, which is even worse than what I have mentioned about. But anyway, you'll just have to go read that. I, I stopped the other day in a store. Somebody said, oh, you wrote the thing, and, you know, because he'd evidently read <laughs> And he lives in another town miles and miles away and and uh and he had read it, but I don't think he quite understands the significance of it and uh and and I haven't really explained to everybody what the sign why would I even be mentioning article two section twenty two of the Oregon constitution well, the truth is is you know I think it's kind of newsworthy to know that the majority of everybody. Every candidate who has run for office in the state of Oregon, mayor, governor, legislature, senate, whatever, are all not only in violation of Article 2, Section 22, but they're felons now. 
they're all committed felons. You know, I, I don't, it's an unclassified felony, but it's a felony what they've done. And they forfeit their office. They have to leave their office and anything they do in their office is, is not legal. Yet the highway patrol and the tax collectors will all be out enforcing everything that they passed even though they had no right to do it. No lawful right to do it. Therefore, the government is an outlaw government. It's seizing a use. It's it's operating with unwarranted usurpations of power that they have no right to by their own rules. By the rules they're sworn to uphold. And the rules were made by the people, the vote of the people, back in 1994-95, in uh, Measure 6, it became part of the Constitution of Oregon. And they're not doing anything about it. The people aren't doing anything about it. They don't know how to do anything about it. Why? They're predestined to not do anything about it. Because... They already jumped off a building a long time ago, which abandoned Christ. Oh, they go to church, they sing their songs, they read their Bible, but they have rejected one of the key elements of the teachings of Jesus Christ. I say one, they've actually done many they've rejected, but at least one has set into motion the fact that they will do nothing about the fact the tyrants have risen up and are ruling over them. And so they deserve those tyrants because they've been slothful in the ways of Christ. Now, that's a lot of people aren't going to accept that. They don't want to hear that. I mean, that's I'm dragging them into the darkness of their own hearts. I haven't said exactly what it is they rejected yet, although I uh, some of you probably know if you've listened on a regular basis. But what I was originally trying to tell you is that in Israel, and same as it was in the early church, because we see them doing the same thing, sitting down and figuring things out and deciding things amongst themselves. But they were the lawyers. Every congregant is the lawyer because he is supposed to be attending to the weightier matters of what? Law, judgment, mercy, and faith, which is the the weightier matters of law. That makes you a lawyer. Well, you're not a member of the Bar Association. You're not an attorney. But you are supposed to be, according to Christ, who condemned the Pharisees for not doing this, you're supposed to be attending to law. That makes you a lawyer. But in in Luke 11:46, he he says, Woe unto you also, ye lawyers, ye people who are concerned with the law. For ye laid men with burdens grievous to be borne, and ye yourself touched not the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe unto you, for ye build the sepulcher of the prophets, and your, that, and your fathers killed them. You know, this is what modern church is doing. The people are supposed to be dealing with law, judgment, mercy, and faith. That's what Christ said. Condemn them for not dealing with that. 
But they're not dealing with that. So now the modern Christian is condemned. They may be nice in a lot of other ways. But they're not interested in law, judgment, mercy, and faith. Yeah, I actually had somebody just just a few days before that uh, who was... Oh, actually, I had somebody yesterday even also say... (laughs) Maybe that's even a better point is that he says, Oh, all these politicians are crooked. They're all dishonest. I don't want to have anything to do with them. So he just ignores it. And opens up another beer and puts on the game. Well, he's the problem. Because he doesn't want to deal with law, judgment, mercy, and faith. He doesn't care about, oh, they're all crooked. I'm not going to have anything to do with them. And uh, and somebody else pointed out the fact that, I, well, you don't even vote. What do you care? I care that somebody is lying, that somebody is cheating, that somebody is bearing false witness. I care because I care about those people who are lying and cheating and bearing false witness. And I know that lying and cheating and bearing false witness, swearing that you're going to uphold the Constitution and then not uphold the Constitution, is bearing false witness. That's jumping off a building. There's going to be a consequence for them. There's probably because people give them power, there's also going to be a consequence for you. (laughs) But what I'm concerned about you is that you're slothful in the ways of righteousness. You're not seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness because you're not even interested in righteousness. You're interested in your own comfort. And you're giving power to other men and say, you guys go make the decisions even though I know you're liars because you bear false witness. Maybe you don't know it, but now I'm showing you they are. Most of the people in government, elected in government, are liars. If they if they were really honest and not liars, they would say, Oh my gosh, I have violated Article 2, Section 22. I need to step down. And I see that my comrade here, my, my cohort, my fellow congressman, senator, whatever, has also violated. So I'm going to go to him because I love him. And I'm going to say, you need to step down too. Because you, by law, forfeit your office. We don't have any right to vote. You don't just run to Idaho so that you void a quorum. When you come back, you say, I can't vote. We've ruined, we've ruined our government because for the last, what would that be, over 20 years now, we have absolutely disregarded Article 2, Section 22. I don't know how bad it was. 20 years ago, I know that, they, that people were trying to avoid breaking that rule at one time, but now millions upon millions of dollars is received by these candidates directly into their personal uh, campaign accounts in violation of Article 2, Section 22, that they are sworn to uphold. And they're not doing anything about it. That's jumping off the building. That's jumping off the bridge. That's closing the portal of faith. Because you don't have the faith in telling the truth. You prefer to tell the lie. To live the lie. Now, you as individuals out there, most of you are not running for office, so what's your lie? 
What's your false witness? You say you believe in Jesus. But then I can point out things that Jesus says you're supposed to do that you're not doing. So that puts into question, do you really believe in Jesus? Or do you believe in an image of Jesus created by your pastor? Your minister? Or maybe by yourself in your private interpretation of the Bible? You can see how popular this message is going to be. (laughs) But it's important that it's said because your souls are at stake. You guys are jumping off buildings. You're going to dash your feet, your brains out on the ground. Because you're not attending to the weightier matters of law, judgment, and mercy, and faith. Because you're bearing false witness. You're saying that you believe in Jesus but you actually believe in the things that Jesus said not to put your faith in. You know, which is why we went over that statement of faith. You should go back and listen to that other show if you haven't heard it. Therefore, also said in verse 49, the wisdom of God, I will send them prophets and apostles, and some of them they shall slay and persecute. That the blood of all the prophets which was shed from the foundation of the world may be required of this generation. From the blood of Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, which perished between the altar and the temple. Verily I say unto you, it shall be required of this generation. Well, that generation, during the fall of Jerusalem, that blood was required. But history repeats itself. Is your blood going to be required? You cannot change the fate of history, but you can change your fate by repentance and by seeking the kingdom of God. Repentance, again, is not being sorry. It's thinking a different way. But Luke 11.52 says, Well, unto you lawyers, he repeats that, you people who are supposed to be attending to the law, judgment, mercy, and faith, For ye have taken away the key of knowledge. Ye enter not in yourself, and them that were entering in, ye hindered. And that's what's going on, is that, you know, the the people bearing false witness, you know, and I'm, I'm using the Article 2, Section 22 in Oregon as an example, because I think it's an egregious example that I have a lot of inside information on, which I share with you. And our Article 2, Section 22 article in preparing you. But this same process is going on in every state, in every country, in every nation, in every society. So that's what we're going to take a look at some of the things that where we see this in other groups. Now, I was also approached by a preacher. He actually called me a number of times. Finally, I got a hold of him. Uh, or he got a hold of me. I didn't ever call him back. But, because uh, I've gone over the same thing to him. You know, you show them. And they know I have a, a great deal of knowledge and information that I'm sharing. Just openly. Just send out to people all over the place. Put it on the website. Now, all the books are there. In their entirety. You can download them yourself. Print them out if you want. Read them there. Put them on your Kindle. Put them on your phone for all I care. And read them there. You don't have to pay me a dime. You don't have to join anything. 
But all the information, most all the information is in the books, in the footnotes, but you probably won't put it together because that's the, that's the interesting thing about information, words. They're like the dots, you know, connect the dot games. And, you know, you lay out all the, words are the symbols of ideas. So every one of those words in the books that put there as symbols of idea, and you're connecting those symbols and putting them together. Well, you can put them together one way and get the wrong answer. You can put them together another way and you get the right answer. And, you know, that's that's just the way life is because everything can be interpreted. Words are not that, that you almost every word in the dictionary has multiple definitions. And when they play fast and loose with the translations, which they have translate five different words into the same English word sometimes or translate one Greek word into five different English words sometimes, sometimes more. It's very easy to connect the dots and get a different picture than what God is trying to tell you. So ultimately, it will depend upon the Holy Spirit. And a lot of people think they have the Holy Spirit, but they're still doing contrary to what Christ said. So, you know, you tell me that's the Holy Spirit. I don't see it. So, woe unto you lawyers, you people who are supposed to be dealing with the law, judgment, mercy, and faith, which the Pharisees were condemned because they weren't doing that, where you have taken away the key of knowledge. Well, that's what we're going to try to give you, is the key of knowledge. So, this preacher calls me up and wants uh, one of our pamphlets, The Body of Christ. No, actually, he wanted to... I actually said that because I, I looked over here and I, I have the pile of pamphlets that he wanted. Uh, but he wanted the international acceptance and validity of holy matrimony, uh, which is just a, you know, that's, it was originally about 60 pages, but I've got it down to 12 pages. <laughs> but I've got the essence of there so you can figure it out. And then holy matrimony versus marriage, which is an interesting pamphlet. And it's one of the chapters of the book, Covenants of the Gods, which is all free online. But I also included the body of Christ versus the body of state, uh, called one is your father, not of this world, because Jesus' kingdom is not of this world, doesn't mean it's not here on the planet. It means it's not a part of the constitutional order and system of government of Pontius Pilate, because that's who he was talking to. So, he probably doesn't want to read all those, he just wants the holy matrimony. Well, why does he want to read about holy matrimony versus marriage, which is a licensed marriage of the state. I mean, it, the original term marriage, it could be that you were a serf on land, you wanted to get married, and you had to get the permission of the laird, or maybe you were maybe you were a ward of the laird. You know, maybe your parents died and now you're not his daughter, but you're, you're a ward of the laird, or, or the crown, or whatever. So you have to get permission to get married. Because you're under that Lord as if you would be under your father. See, normally, the father of the household gives permission not only of the daughter, but of the son. If they want to get married, they have to go to their father and ask permission to get married. That's the way it was for thousands of years. Even Samson had to go ask permission of his father to get married. Because children belong to their parents. And everybody says, oh, we've gotten rid of that. We don't... We don't have anything to do with children belonging to their parents, even though their parents created them, fed them, cared for them. They think, well, I just belong to myself, like you hatched out of the universe on your own. 
there's a natural debt. And if you disregard that natural debt to your parents, that's jumping off another building. There's going to be consequences because your kids are going to disregard you as well. But you don't have to worry about that because you got Social Security. The government will take care of you. Well, guess what? The government is in the place of the father. You don't... Kids don't... I mean, they don't even go and ask the government anymore. But uh, they don't go ask their own natural father and mother to get married. They go to the state and get a marriage license. We did that for for decades and decades. Everybody would go down. I mean, George Washington didn't. When he married Mazda, he didn't go down and get a marriage license. They just got married. Um, you know... Uh, at Preparing You, we even have a copy of the marriage agreement between Karl Marx and his wife. They didn't go down to the state and ask permission to get married. This is as late as Karl Marx. They went down and got and made out a contract and filed that contract with the state as the arbitrators of that contract, which makes the state the god of that contract, the ruling judge of that contract, but they made the contract out themselves. And that's the way they used to do it. I mean, the idea that the state was in charge of that contractual agreement of marriage didn't even come around until the brother of Marie Antoinette. You know, Marie Antoinette who married um, the uh, king of France. <laughs> Take you and the king down to the guillotine and shorten you a little bit. That that Marie Antoinette. Well, her brother is the one who started instituting civil marriage again. And that marriage was to be under the state. And if the church didn't go along with that, then the church would not get donations from the king of Prussia anymore, which is who he was. And we, we explain all this in detailed articles in preparing you and in His Holy Church so you can see the history of it. But you don't know the history of it. You think you know, but you don't. And so, and we have the footnotes so you can look this up. But the difference between marriage in the church and marriage with the state is the state is a ruling judge of that union. The church is not. The church is not even a party to the union. The state is a party to the union. The church is not a party to the union. The state is a party to the union. <laughs> I repeat that. So you make, you see the distinction. So if there was a dispute in your marriage, there was some sort of a problem. Maybe, you know, uh, one of you died, division of wealth, or whatever it is. How would you settle that dispute? Or somebody claimed some claim on your family? How would you resolve these issues? Well, the state is a party. The state will decide. And the, the judges will decide according to the laws of good and evil passed by the legislature. And they will determine what is the solution in this, this situation. And that's what you have, exercising authority one over the other. But over in the church, the church has no such authority. We cannot compel. We cannot control. We are not a party to your union. There's a husband and wife. That's it. No more twain, one union. Over here in the state, there's a husband and wife in the state. That's the distinction. Okay, what do you do when you have a problem? 
in the marriage? Who, who resolves the issue? Well, your congregation. And they don't do it through exec- exercising authority. They do it through arbitration. They sit down and you guys tell the problem. And then they all say, they give you a recommendation. Well, we think this is what's right. And you can do it or not do it. And if you don't do it, they all know you didn't do it. If you do do it, they all know you did do it. If you don't think it's right to do what they say to do, then you can go to another congregation. It's all free choice. But there are consequences for the having those choices. There's consequences from giving for giving the choice to the state. Because the state could decide, oh, you can't homeschool your kids. They did that in Germany. They do that in Sweden. They do that in other countries. And they would like to do that in the United States. They, they can also decide to give your children vaccinations and medical treatment against your will. You People complain about that from time to time. Well, they get to do it because guess what? The state's your father. You went to them to get permission to marry. You go to them when you need help. You you know, if you disability, you got to go to them. I, I came across a, a guy just the other day. He's uh, kind of our local transvestite. He's not that local. He's 40, 50 miles away. Uh, but uh, uh, he's, you know, he's a little overweight. I, I guess he's overweight and uh, goes around in a... Uh, you know, a dress, and, uh, and I don't know, it must be a wig, I don't think that's his hair. <laughs> if he does, he dyes it, but, uh, anyway, it's, it's kind of shocking to say the least, but, uh, yeah, if he, uh, if he decided he wanted to get married and went to one of these churches, and they wouldn't get him, mar- marry him to his partner from California, he could sue them for millions and millions of dollars. Not a, not a good thing. And these preachers are worried about this. So they're, they're looking into our material to find a way out. But they only want to look at holy matrimony versus marriage in international acceptance. What about the rest? Okay, we'll be back. The Keys of the Kingdom. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, uh, we're talking about this thing of marriage, but really what we want to talk about is you know what the the mind of the preacher who is you know it's it's like you you want to make sure you have the proper uh dress properly for jumping off the building <laughs> you're still jumping off the building still will have the end result but you want to cover your base over here on this other item make sure that you know you have your suit and tie on it that it that is that is foolishness you have to look at the big picture. You cannot, you know, I'm going to eventually here talk about, I've been putting together a lot of information and to show you how, where the church started to get away from Christ or what was posing as the church started to get away from Christ and how the, the foolish doctrines began to creep in. And so you have to go back to, you know, I talked a little bit, uh, before on Augustine, um, the second Augustine. <laughs> There's two Augustines. And, uh, but, uh, I'm also going to talk about, uh, Augustine, who, uh, of Hippo, who said lots of different things about, uh, religion was very prolific and, uh, considered kind of from the patristic age 
which is kind of an oxymoron to begin with. They call it the patristic age, which is the age of the fathers, the fathers of the church, they even call them. Yet Jesus said, call no man father. So why in the world do we have fathers of the church who are doing all this writing? And who are these guys? And who was Augustine of Hippo? And where did he come from? And, you know, he said all kinds of things. And, you know, I have a series of quotes that are actually uh fairly accurate. And... uh would sound like it was from Christ and teaching what Christ taught. and But then I give several more quotes that sound like it's the opposite of what Christ taught. So what what was Augustine uh, of Hippo really doing? And and then I compare him with the, the, the Augustine who came along later in Great Britain. And what he was up to, because Augustine Hippo was in North Africa. and uh, But they were named after each other. And where did they come from? And where was this outside influence? And how was it creeping us away from the actual teachings of Christ to the present day where we have got very little clue? I mean, the, the so many people argue against so many things that Christ was adamant about. They don't even argue against it. They just ignore it. You know, they pick and choose what they want to believe and what they want to accept of the gospel. And and even Augustine wrote against that. Uh, he says, if you believe what you like in the gospel and reject what you don't like, it is not the gospel you believe, but yourself and the ideology that you have created with the help of other religionists. And he knew that, but there were a lot of other things, but we'll get into him at a, another time. What about these preachers? You know, the Christ commanded that uh, his ministers make the people sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. We have a whole book, Thy Kingdom Come, that tells the whole history of the tens, hundreds, and thousands and how all the church was organized in that way. Augustine doesn't talk about it much, but Augustine was after Constantine. Constantine doesn't talk about it that much. Certainly Ambrose doesn't talk about it much because Ambrose wasn't elected by the tens, hundreds, and thousands. He was elected by everybody in Milan. Pulled out of a brothel and said, hey, yeah, we want you to be our bishop. Because they all had to be, they were commanded to become Christian and get baptized. But they didn't repent. They didn't think a different way. They had a daily ministration and that was the essence of Constantine's church is they were going to go back to having a daily ministration through the temples. They always had a daily ministration through the temples. But they were going to go back to operating more on charity. But uh, Constantine had his jumpstart fundraising. <laughs> where he gave would, would be probably over a billion dollars to this new church in funds that he had collected by killing his partner and annihilating whole cities and villages and confiscating all the wealth in those places and then taking that wealth and giving it to the church what church would even want it? What, what church would even touch it? Well, the Church of Constantine touched it, and they wanted it. But they did start a sort of reform in their own system of religion to kind of emulate 
Christianity. And this is the problem, is that now, now the question comes after Constantine, where's the true church? And we're still asking that question today, where's the true church? You know, what denomination is correct? There's only one denomination in the Church of Christ, and that's Christ, who is actually preaching what Christ said, and who is not preaching what Christ said. Christ said, you know, man and woman, no more twain, but one. He doesn't say man and woman in the state, no more twain. He says man and woman, no more twain, but one. State marriages today, because of the law, and we show the whole progression of the law uh, in the states, is is no longer man and woman. It's man and woman in the state. The churches are going out and marrying people by the authority vested in them by the state. They are actually officers of the state performing marriages. Churches should not be doing that. And we don't do that. I do not have permission to perform a state marriage. I can perform an ecclesiastical marriage. But it's up to them to go get a state marriage if that is required of them. I don't have anything to do with that. I know an old preacher in Maryland who was taken to court because, you know, I know of the preacher and I've been, I've talked to lawyers who've dealt with this situation in, in Maryland because he was going around saying that we're marrying you, but we're just not marrying you by the authority of the state. Well, we just perform a religious service. You marry each other. The church doesn't marry you. You marry each other. Now, immediately when I talk about this, I get people who say, yeah, we want one of those marriages. We don't want the state involved in our marriage. They want the state involved in everything else in their life. The state takes care of their parents when their parents are older because they don't keep the fourth commandment. And they also believe in the Corbin of the Pharisees. Because they say, well, you know, my parents got Social Security. That that will take care of them. No. No. You're supposed to take care of them. Not Social Security. Can you do that? No. You don't want to do that. You could do that. But you don't want to do that. And I tell you, it would be easier to do that if you did the other things that Christ said. Sit down on the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Love one another. Stop coveting one another's goods to the agency of men who exercise authority one over the other, but call themselves benefactors. You're not supposed... What about all those things? So what good does it do if you've got you know, your seams straight and your shoes tied, but you still jump off the building? It doesn't do you any good. So, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to meet with him probably in uh, another week. And, uh, you know, I said that, you know, you, cause he, he was saying, this is, I, you know, if I refuse to do that, I don't mind spending a few days in jail. We're not talking a few days in jail. We're talking about being sued for millions and millions of dollars. So their remedy is no remedy because their remedy is not full of Christ. It's only full of what they're afraid of. And they need to turn around and go the other way. Turn around and, and, do the other thing which Christ said to do. That's the way they should be going. So anyway, we showed in previous programs about statement of faith and uh, so the ministers of church who are gathering and trying to resolve these situations. All these situations are resolved if you actually 
practice pure religion, which means you have to start taking care of the needy of your society through faith, hope, and charity instead of just going to church on Sunday and the other six days of the week, the government takes care of all the needy of your society. You're not the church if you're not doing that. If you're making the government take care of all the needs of your society and 90% of all the welfare amongst modern Christians is done through the government, men who exercise authority. You have to think a different way. You have to repent and turn around. And we we talked in the previous shows about Social Security. It's always been bankrupt. It's never been funded. It wasn't created to be funded. It was created to make you surety for debt. And it has done that. So anyway, I promised to talk about these portals of faith. How do we get back to living by faith? We've gone so far away from all of that. And so I said we would talk about Augustine of Hippo. And uh, I probably won't get to all of it in today's show. But uh, I guess now Hippo, you know, he he was born, to get into time frame, November 13th, 354 A.D. He died, actually died on my birthday, August 28th, in 430 A.D. So he didn't, he wasn't even born until after Constantine's Council of Milan. You know, he was around in the Council of Ephesus, uh, which condemns some of the very philosophies that he seems to be teaching from time to time. Uh, but uh, they, he wasn't that well-known at that particular time. He became well-known because one of his big advocacies is the advocacy of the papacy. He believed in the central, you know, Pope concept and papacy and top-down authority. And But, you know, a lot of the things he said are true and accurate. But some of the things he said, and maybe even a lot, you know, I have four quotes here that sound very much like Christ and three quotes there that sound very much not like Christ, actually the opposite of Christ. Then I have dozens of other quotes that you can go through. So he said a lot. And this is the interesting thing is, you know, I know some of the pastors that are approaching me about this marriage issue. And they're really good guys. And they have a lot of good ideas. And they're very charitable. But they're not putting on the full armor of God. If you don't put on the full armor of God, you know, it's like that little badge that stopped the bullet of the sheriff, you know, the little dent in the badge and it stopped the bullet. And it's, they said, well, it looks like this badge saved his life. And the guy says, well, it would have, it wasn't for all them, all them other bullets coming in from everywhere. <laughs> so <laughs> it, you know, it really doesn't matter if you straighten your tie and you still jump off the building. The same results happens. So we have to deal with all these different things. Well, Augustine, he wrote, you know, and at the time that he was writing, you know, in, um, you know, 400 AD, he's right. Because the first part of his life was, he was pretty much a sinner, <laughs> a serious sinner. Uh, and we'll get into some of that. But uh, uh, later on, he began to settle down and he began to write these things. And he had a lot of good ideas and he had some very, very, very bad ideas. And distinguishing between the two, it's kind of like the Constitution we have contracts, covenants, and constitution. You can read all about that. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of good ideas in the constitution. But 
out of the five things you're supposed to put in a constitution, only four of them, oh, only one of them appears. Four of them are absent in the Constitution of the United States according to the Bible. So the Constitution is not biblical any more than Nimrod is biblical because it's, it's contrary to, you know, it's not doing what the Bible said. And so there's repercussions to that. That's where the predestiny comes. You decided to go this way, this way, and this way instead of that way, that way, and that way, and there's going to be repercussions. So there's, you're predestining yourself by the choices you make. But again, where are you making those choices? In the consciousness of your mind? No, most of them are made in the subconsciousness of your mind. Those parts of you that you don't want to see. So I'm talking about a lot of things you did not know that come into contradiction to what you want to believe is so. And you will either accept or reject them. If you reject them, you're probably going to reject and not go into those dark recesses of your own mind and not find resolution. Again, Going back to those guys who are in violation of Article 2, Section 22. I wrote this for their sake. The The next article I'm going to write, I'm going to write it for the sake of the people who don't care about those men who are being corrupted by the power that you are giving them. Saul was made ruler and fell prey to what I call the Saul Syndrome. Power corrupts. You are giving your legislature and your governors and your senators too much power. Because you, you said you don't have the power to do this, this, and this. In Article 2, Section 22. But then when they do it, you just let them do it. Because you're too busy over here being comfortable. Too busy over here being slothful. That's your sin. And I want you to see your sin. I want them to see their sin. And, and the fact is, is those legislators should, who know their themselves are in violation, should confess. That's one of the books of uh, Augustine of Hippo, Confessions. And there's, you know, I should put a link in there to, I think I have an article on confession. Confession is good for the soul. You have to admit you're wrong in order to find out what it is to be right. If you won't admit you're wrong, you'll never be right. So that's why humility was emphasized so much by Christ. So yeah, he wrote Confessions, he wrote City of God, he wrote about the Trinity. You know, the actual, you know, book that they call the Trinity. So he wrote these things. And so he was kind of the founder of a lot of this stuff. But what was creeping in with his text? I mean, he you say this is right, this is right, this is right, but this over here is creeping in heretical statements that are contrary to Christ. And he was writing all this when the Vandals and the Moors uh, uh, were sieging society, you know, coming in. Some of the Vandals were Christians. Uh, the Moors generally were not, but I mean, the, uh, you know, eventually the Muslims who came was often a reaction to uh, the oppressiveness of Constantinian church, which was not the church established by Christ. It was this other church saying it's the church, 
but was not the real church. Because it had these ideas that are contrary to Christ. And so that's which, this is what it is all about to preach Christ first. You have to see what Christ actually said. If what you believe doesn't fit with what Christ said, then what you believe is wrong. As far as Christianity is concerned. You're not a Christian. If you're doing, if you love him, you will keep his commandments. If you don't even know what his commandments were, like sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, and loving your neighbor, and not coveting your neighbor's goods, not taking a bite out of one another through the agency of government, not being like the governments of the world. Again, going back, those priests, a priest, Pontifus Maximus, which is what Constantine said he was, when the Pontifex Maximus of Judea was really John the Baptist, not Caiaphas, but John the Baptist, and Christ was to take his place. So Christ was both king and Pontifex Maximus. And so somebody coming along and saying, now I am the Pontifex Maximus, is doing contrary. The reality is the church is a different form of government. It's still defined that way today in law dictionaries. It's a form of government that operates on faith, hope, and charity. So these preachers out there that taking care of the daily ministration through force, fear, and violence of government and the men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority are not really the church. They're not really the ministers of Christ. And that's just one place where they have jumped off the building and done contrary to the teachings of Christ and the doctrines of Christ. Not the doctrines of this religion or that religion, but the actual what Christ said. So, uh, Augustine was coming on the scene after the creation of the Constantinian Church that had a, a lot of the values of Christ but some values that were contrary to Christ. And so he comes along as this theologian and philosopher whose writings, including this city of uh, God and the confessions, influenced the development of Western Christianity and philosophy. But it's not... It, when he, They say Western Christianity, but I'd say modern Christianity. And we have we have uh, links on the page to what a modern Christianity really is. And it's not what Christ was teaching. Christopher Dawson wrote that Augustine was, uh, to a far greater degree than any emperor or barbarian warlord, a maker of history and a builder of bridges, which was to lead from the old world to the new. But the bridge was bridging the way from true Christianity to false Christianity. Not to say that everything he said was wrong, but where what did he go wrong? Because in seeing where he went wrong, you might be able to see where you went wrong, or where your pastor went wrong, or is leading you wrong. So, Augustine was influenced by this uh, teaching of his mother, who was Monica. Uh, and Monica was a Christian, a fervent Christian of some sort. 
But, uh, you know, I, I really, you know, obviously she didn't like to see her son going around and whoring around with prostitutes and having affairs and having a mistress and having children out of wedlock. She didn't like that. And, but he was admittedly very, you know, lustful. He said, I polluted the brook of friendship with the sewage of lust. And, uh, and he prayed though. Uh, make me chaste, but not yet. You know, he's putting it off. He wanted to keep living the life of a sinner. And, uh, but the, his obsession with sexuality and the temptations there caused, uh, by his own personal lust, he says, was the cause of original sin. He, he makes that, you know, the, the fruit tree, the, uh, the sin was sexuality. But what he's doing when he does that, you know, the, some sort of sexual act between uh, uh, Adam and Eve. But what he's he's doing is he's creating that checklist of things. The reality is, is the sin, the original sin was choosing for yourself what was good and what was evil. Choosing for yourself, trying to decide for yourself what was good and evil. And that is jumping off the building. That that way back there is jumping off the building. Is eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil rather than the tree of life. And this is what those pastors are doing. They're trying to figure out, calculate, and this is always the danger, you know, because I give so much information out that people will take that information and try to use that information to solve their problems. The information does not solve your problem. The information is evidence that you have a problem. Sexuality or, or, or promiscuity is evidence that you have a problem. Your problem is that you're so vain that you're trying to decide what is good and evil on your own. And when you try to do that, you know what will happen? Somebody will come along and decide what is good and evil for you and you will fall under their power. Especially if you try to decide what is good and evil for your neighbor. And that's what we see rising up in America. All this Antifa and all these guys, they're all trying to just say that you can't say this because you, that's evil. That's wrong. That's uh, offensive. And so that desire to create that rule for their neighbor is going to bring in tyranny. That's that's jumping off that part of the building. So, when I tell you that this here is, you know, this is the facts, and people believe this wrongly, or they incorrectly, or whatever, I'm not trying to create a dogma that you can believe in. I'm just pointing out the fact that you're not eating of the tree of life. I'm using knowledge to show you that the knowledge you have is is deception. It just ain't so. And you're following that knowledge and it's leading you to destruction. If you want to go to life, you have to stop eating of the tree of knowledge. You can have knowledge, but you don't determine your direction with that knowledge. And that's what the guy does when he counts days and calendars and and rituals and forms and creates this checklist. That's evidence that he is living from the tree of knowledge. You know, the 
you know, uh, Ben Shapiro, nice guy, has a lot of great ideas, but he believes in this pharisaical approach that, you know, I have to have this diet and this food and this checklist and this and this and this. And that's the tree of knowledge. And he's a very bright person, full of knowledge, full of information. But that's not the real pure-hearted Ben Shapiro. That's, that's, that's whited sepulcher stuff. That's robes and checklists and knowledge and information. What really comes down to righteousness or not righteousness is whether you're eating of the tree of life, receiving the Holy Spirit. And I believe he's been touched by the Holy Spirit. But I also believe that he's dragging the balls and change of pharisaical approach of checklist religianity. And you don't want that. But it's kind of scary to let go of all that. Because we use it as a kind of a flotation device in a crazy, crazy world of insanity. But there were all kinds of heresies going on at the time that Augustine was writing his own heresies. And so maybe we'll take a look at some of those different, like Donatists and and, uh, Malachianism and uh, some of these other guys when we return to Keys of the Kingdom. So, anyway, we're talking, we'll try to sum up some of this stuff about Augustine, and we won't get to all of his quotes, but uh, maybe I'll do it in the afternoon show. Uh, you know, he was he was writing during a time when this Donatism, uh, was, which was considered a heresy, uh, was creating a schism, kind of, in what they call the Church of Carthage. Now, you have to remember that, you know, Carthage is North Africa, and of course there had been a great deal of persecution of Christians in North Africa, and then now there was this new Constantinian Christianity, which spread through the Roman Empire, which said you could be this Christian and not be persecuted, but then many of the ministers who joined this church, or were established by this church, were established by people who picked them, not because they repented and became Christians, but because they were commanded to become Christian and the only welfare they were going to receive was no longer the free bread and circuses of Rome, the civil government, but the free bread of this new church of Constantine. In order to get this started, Constantine funded it with a great deal of money. And you have to always be aware of, and and be concerned about these guys who taint the daily ministration with gifts, gratuities, and benefits from men who exercise authority because this is why Christ forbid us to do that. But the Church of Constantine said, though, that's okay because it's coming from the emperor. Well, that's that's what got the church in trouble uh, it, over in Prussia with the brother to Marie Antoinette, who was the emperor there, who said that, well, we're going to have state marriages from now on, and all your marriages had to be registered with the state, because if you if the church didn't do that, he wasn't going to give the huge donations that he had been giving to the church that was helping fund the work of the church. Well, why was that important to the people? And why was that important to the church? Because the people were not taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. As soon as you get away from that a little bit, 
and start saying, well, we can take a little bit of money over here from the men who exercise authority. You're closing the door, the portal of faith, because you're not operating by faith. Now you're operating by covetousness. Now I come along when you're 90% of all the welfare in your churches is taken care of by men who exercise authority. Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, all that is from the priests of the world. The priests of Pontius Pilate who offers free bread and circuses. Church of Christ was saying, no, we don't eat of that bread. And this is what Paul's talking about, food sacrificed to idols. You know, you don't want to do that because it will be a scandal. You want to avoid that. But, of course, the Church of Constantine, they got started with that. And Donatism, which is this uh, this heresy that Donatists argued that Christian clergy must be faultless for their ministry to be effective and their prayers and sacraments to be valid. And what does that mean? Now, how does that apply? See, because you have this Church of Constantine coming along and taking benefits from men who exercise authority. I mean, Constantine, even after he supposedly became a Christian, went out and wiped out an entire village. I think it was 10,000, 20,000 people and confiscated all their lands, confiscated all their money to pay for his army and da 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 And he's supposedly a Christian. No, that wasn't a Christian act. That was a totalitarian, brutal act. And that, that wasn't, he wasn't establishing the church established by Christ. So, Donatism is kind of coming about in reaction to the fact that you had all these ministers who were saying that, oh, it's okay to take from Constantine, even though we know Constantine simply has because he took from everybody else, because you're in violation of Christ's commandment not to be like the governments of the Gentiles who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority. In other words, force the contributions of the people. They're not free will offerings that is sustaining your daily ministration. Then it's not Christian. Well, the modern church has very little daily ministration and 90% is done by the men who exercise authority. So they're not Christian churches. They're not the church established by Christ. They're the church established by Constantine. They got a lot of good people in them. But they haven't really repented and gone the way of Christ. Uh, another heresy that was coming about at that time, or what they, they list them as heresies, so I'll call them heresies. Pelagianism. Because Donatism isn't entirely incorrect. I don't know how they interpreted it all out at that time, and it was all over the place, so, but they're right. Ministers need to get in conformity with Christ. Pelagianism, also called Pelagian heresy, is the Christian, so-called Christian theological position that original sin did not taint human nature and mortal will is still capable of choosing good or evil without special divine aid or assistance. Well, not not entirely true. Uh, you know, that, so, yeah, there is a heresy mixed in with that. Uh, 
original sin did not really taint human nature. Original sin is the evidence that human nature was already tainted with pride. And then it compounded itself with pride when when uh, Adam did not admit that he ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but blamed his the evidence of his sin on God and the woman. It's the woman you gave me. Gave me this fruit to eat. She told me I should do it this way. I should think this way. I should use the tree of knowledge as as fruit uh, uh, to make my decisions with. What that was jumping off a building. He was predestined now to make a lot more mistakes. <laughs> and he has continued to do it to this day. And so have you. But, uh, so they're right in the fact that it did not really change human nature. Human nature remained the same. But can you really choose good and evil without divine aid? That is saying that you can, that if you can choose good and evil, Without divine aid, then you can eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and you don't need to eat of the tree of life. So, yeah, that's a heresy. And then the third one we'll look at right now is Manichaeism, which was, you know, an idea that supposedly was started by this Iranian guy, Manny, uh, who was in the uh, Sasanian Empire, which is kind of the last of the Persian Empire. But it was, most of what we know about it is, is from its critics, because most of its writings did not survive. And it was all over, it was one of the most popular religions throughout the world, the known world at that time. And it kind of encompassed a combination of Zoroastrianism and uh, Buddhism. And uh, it was an elaborate, dualistic cosmology describing the struggle between good and evil, between light and darkness. You know, it's the yin-yang kind of concept of, so that there's God over here, and then there's the God of good over here, and the God of evil over here. Which is, you know, it's actually, in my mind, that doesn't even fit, because darkness is not a positive force. It's simply the absence of the light. But the absence of something creates a vacuum, and nature, which is created by God, abhors a vacuum. So, it just depends on how far you take this elaborate Manichaeism. And we really don't know what individuals were seeing and talking about. Uh, we know what the critics said about it, but that's about as far as that goes. So, Anyway, um, so we're, we'll look at a few things that, uh, I don't know how much time we have. Well, we have a little bit of time here. Uh, Augustine argued against the, the Pelagius, or Pelagius views, uh, but his writings were opposed in many monastic circles, uh, by the existing Christians. Well, some of these monastic circles, then you have to, you know, when I even say the word monastic, you think of a monastery and some long-robed monks and with shaved bald heads walking around with beads and rosaries and vestments and 
But that's not what monasticism was all about. Monasticism was kind of like your university in the wilderness. Uh, there were guys who would go off separate from the major cities and everything, and they would devote them lives to making a record and studying and uh, learning uh, different, you know, because there was so much violence going on. Like I said, the vandals, the moors, and all this stuff. So you'd have these monasteries where that people were devoting themselves to perpetuating information and knowledge, but also the spirituality of Christ. And so some monasteries were really good places, and some monasteries were not as good, because they were not a homogeneous group, just like I said with the Essenes, who had a lot of these kind of apparent monastery societies that were often near remote societies. And everybody that would be a part of the Essene movement were the monks or the ministers but they but in the true construction of the kingdom of god according to the way christ did it you had the the congregation of the people 10 families get together uh with 100 families through this pattern of tens hundreds and thousands they pick ministers now those ministers have a particular role and they have certain qualifications that Christ required of them. Most of these ministers asking me about the marriage documents don't want to hear any of that. They just want to know, how do I get around this, these new laws with marriage? Well, how do you get around the new laws they want to make about vaccines? And how do you get around a lot of things? Um, well, you have to put on the full armor of God if you're going to go into battle. They don't want to put on the full armor of God. They just want to put on the convenient armor of God. And I hope that they will repent and decide to put on the full armor of God. But at, at this time, they're not doing it. So, anyway, uh, the uh, a lot of the monastic groups were opposed to some of the things that Augustine of Hippo was saying. Uh, they had, Their objections included his doctrines of the total depravity of fallen man which seems to be a total black and white of what people would like call Manichaeism, which was part of the Manichaeism is that things were either good or evil and there's this black and white and this yin and the yang to everything. And the fact is, as individuals, we're a lot more complicated than that, which is why Christ would sit down with prostitutes and publicans and call Roman centurions men of great faith is because you can kind of be both in this process of seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I don't approve of both. I'm just saying that you have to deal with people where you find them. And, you know, like somebody who's never had a good family. And uh, they've never had a good relationship with their family. They They had kind of a broken family they came from. Either their father or their mother was not reliable uh or or maybe even abusive and then they or or abandoned them and then they tried to have a family and their their spouse abandoned them and they had to raise the children on their own and they made lots of mistakes and so but yet something kept nagging at them to come back to the ways of the kingdom and eventually they may have worked out a lot of the issues and are working out more with a present family or or a group of people. And that's the process. So I don't want to create people either on the black side or on the white side. Because it doesn't work that way. That's There's no mercy in that. 
And you're supposed to be looking at law, which includes justice and mercy. We are all sinners. But we are not all condemned. And our our condemnation is not predestined. We can make choices and, and turn around. But in order to make those choices, we have to be get out of the cloud of modern religianity and get into pure religion. And that's why we're commanded to tell you to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. We're commanded to tell you to love your neighbor as yourself in those tens, hundreds, and thousands. We're told to you to um, lay down your life, donation by donation, so that you can pick up a life more abundant when you actually attend to a daily ministration based on faith, hope, and charity instead of force, fear, and violence. See, it's, that's what repentance is going another way. I can't put new wine in old wineskins. I'm not going to fix the Oregon government. That's not why I wrote the article. I wrote the article to warn congressmen and senators that they and and governors and uh, mayors that they're bearing false witness, and that's going to have a repercussion. You're jumping off a building that is going to create repercussions, and you are predestining your fate with the choice of bearing false witness, swearing an oath that you will upkeep a constitution that you are not keeping. Well, the secondary thing is, is the people have been slothful, which is why they have such a government to begin with, because they have rejected God. Even though they go to church, they rejected what Christ actually said to do. And they become slothful in the ways and that has repercussions for them. And so that's the next part of my article will eventually show how it is their fault they're in this situation. So they have to repent and turn around and start fessing up to the fact that they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. So there were many Christians, there were many of whom were probably true Christians, that were opposing some of the things that Augustine was saying. And uh, that the depravity of fallen man has to do with his lack of humility and the fact that he's not eating of the tree of life, the Holy Spirit. He's not following the Holy Spirit. He's not walking in the ways of the Spirit. But he's creating this complicated checklist of things that I have to say and have to do and, and all that. And that's not where it's at. Uh, Constantine also seemed to be... Uh, Take, uh, taking away the individual's free will because he made reference to this predestination, this absolute predestination that undoes everything that Christ said uh, about the importance of works. Christ made works important. You had to be doer of the word, not just a hearer only. You couldn't just say, Lord, Lord. You had to actually be a doer of the word. And then he... he condemns a whole group of people who think they're Christians because they they didn't feed him when he was hungry. They didn't clothe him when he was uh, naked. They didn't give him shelter. They didn't take care of him. And they said, because when you did them to, didn't do these to the least of my brethren, not just anybody, but my brethren, you did them to me. And then he brings in this other whole group, not because they had faith, because they didn't even know that they were believers, because they did you know, clothe his brethren, 
feed his brethren and cared for his brethren and protected his brethren, visited his brethren. Well, who's his brethren? Those who do the will of the Father. So, you know, going back to this idea of it had to be this in compliance with Christ or you couldn't be an effective minister. That's, that is true. And so what we've done over the years now have shown all the places that you're not in compliance with the actual words of Christ. You do call men on earth father. You, you, you know, you do make covenants with men that are doing contrary to what Christ said. You're, you're bringing the church under uh, external authorities. But mostly you're not tending to the daily administration through faith, hope, and charity. You're not walking in the way of Christ. And Augustine was, you know, Augustine repented from a lot of the bad things he did. And he did straighten out a lot of the things he did in life. But he still carried in, crept in, a lot of ideas and theologies that ease the portal of faith door closed. He he was not a saint of Christ. He was a follower of Constantinian Christianity. I'm not condemning the guy. I'm just pointing this out from what he said. And there's articles written by people that say it was Augustine really Augustinian because he has these mixed messages in the quotes that he does make and not only that I mean I actually when I kind of got onto this is uh, there's a quote from Constantine I mean not Constantine but Augustine which actually parallels a quote from uh, Matthew 7 3 and he says uh, let us never assume that if we live good lives, we will be without sin. And these pastors, they live pretty good lives, some of them. But are they without sin? He says, our lives should be praised only when we continue to beg for pardon. But men are hopeless creatures. And the less they concentrate on their own sins, the more interested they become in the sins of others. And then we often do that. We say, well, look, they do this, this, and this, and this. So we're not like them. But we're still jumping off the building. And he goes on to say, they seek to criticize, not to correct. Unable to excuse themselves, they are ready to accuse others. Well, that statement has been published on Facebook. And Facebook has deemed it hate speech and knocked it off. Not closed accounts. Put them in Facebook jail because people put that statement of Augustine as hate speech. But the truth is, is this is the, the modern church is trying to get some things right, but not all things right. But that's that's not seeking perfection in Christ. That is not putting on the full armor of God, and they need to do that, and you need to do that. So how does this relate to your life? Are you sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands? Are you gathering with other people to work out your salvation with fear and trembling? Are you becoming, uh, you know, people who lay down your life daily for those who have a daily ministration? We have, you know, I could, I'm not going to mention certain things that I've seen of late in the, the network, 
and in my own life with other people, interacting with other people. But we need to turn around our thinking and actually start conforming to what Christ was doing and what early, early Christianity was doing, not the Constantinian Christianity. And it's it's going to be a process of learning how to do that and to be a part of that. And, and most of the learning that you do is going to be in, in the practice of pure religion. And you cannot practice pure religion unless you know who you're helping. Because you have to give them charity in a way that strengthens them, not weakens them. And there is so much to do. There is a tremendous need for true ministers of Christ to start coming together and doing what Christ said. To set that example. There is a tremendous need for somebody to actually start taking care of other people with no help from government. Which is really hard to do. I mean, starting a convalescent home out here for people. Who do we put into it? Uh, we, we cannot apply for the Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, and all that stuff. Those people could. But we just have to provide the service for free through charity. But who would we bring into that? And who would support that? I mean, we already do it. We don't have a home necessarily, but we go into other people's homes and help them on a, on a regular basis. And serve them and make sure they have enough to eat and sometimes hoist them out of their convalescent beds with a hoist and bandage their wounds and uh, change their colostomy bags and uh, all these things so that they can be in their own home and be taken care of. And the state begs to give us money. And we can't take the money from the state. Not like that Constantinian church who took billions of dollars from Constantine even though they knew that it was all collected by the force of Constantine. We can't do that. How can we do what Christ said if you will not become that congregation of God? If if we don't meet your checklist, we meet the checklist of Christ, but we may not meet your checklist. But that's idolatry. We're, We're preaching Christ first, last, and always. But until then, peace on your house. And may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.